All right, everybody, welcome to episode 26 of Derek's Discussions here with the Embury brothers. You know, we got Hunter and Jameson both playing lacrosse at Marist. First of all, guys, how is that experience like playing at the Division One level? Yeah, uh, I'll take this first. Um, it's been really good uh, and challenging, which is really what we were looking for when we wanted to, when we were going through the recruiting process. Marist was actually the first school that we visited. And then we visited a few other schools, but we eventually came back to Marist. Um, and it was definitely kind of a dream come true to go with my twin brother. But at the Division One level, it's been awesome. We've been, uh, I, I think that the, the schedules have always been great for us. We've been able to play some really good teams, uh, win a MAC championship as well. So it's definitely been challenging, but rewarding. Yeah, just to go off of that, I think it's just a truly gratifying experience to be able to play lacrosse, not only close to home and with my two brothers, but um, at the highest level in, in collegiate sports, which is uh, division one to be able to play against the best teams in the country every single year. And on top of that, um, you know, with the chance of winning a conference championship and going to the NCAA tournament, that's always the goal and the dream. So um nothing but gratitude for, for being able to play and play at Marist. And then you mentioned, you know, kind of going through the recruiting process was the recruiting process for you more of a combined attack where both of you kind of knew that you wa wanted to go to the same school together or how was that process for you guys? Yeah. So it was definitely difficult for us because we played different positions at the time in high school I played midfield and I also did some face-offs and Jameson was primarily an attackman, but we decided right away as we were going through this that, <clears throat> I mean, we've done everything together in our lives and going to play college lacrosse was something we both always wanted to do. So we never really had a discussion about it beforehand, but I think it was kind of mutually understood that we were going to go to school together. Yeah. Um, I think there, it was, it was funny because there were schools that were definitely only recruiting Hunter or only recruiting me. And the first kind of thing that we mentioned going through the process was that we wanted to do it together. It was cool to get recognition from schools um, to be going through it as an individual, but um, I mean, we quickly made it aware that we wanted to do this together and we definitely put a precedent on those schools that emphasized family and togetherness and being able to do it um, side by side. And then for both of you, you're obviously at the college level and we talked earlier, both of you are huge, you know, sports fans. So what would you say is the significance of sports in your guy's life? Yeah, I, I would say that sports has been it's been around our lives since, since we were born. And I think that sports are really cool. Uh, and, and it's a really big way for people to kind of get together, um, to root people on, to, to cheer together, to be fans of a, of a program or a team together. And I think it's something that just <clears throat> creates communities. Uh, I think we saw last night, the power of sports too, um, with what happened with, the, uh, the Bills safety and everyone kind of coming together. I saw that his toy drive has like over three or $4 million of donations within the last 24 hours. So 
I, I think that for us, sports has been a way of life. Um, and I don't see it really changing in the near future. I think it's a really good way to bring people together. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, um, speaking about us specifically, we're super competitive um, in everything that we do. So sports is an avenue for us to really like totally unleash that and and compete not only against each other for certain things, but with each other. We've always had that mentality that we're better together and, and stronger together and we can conquer things together. So um, being able to play together and play sports and we're both on the offensive side of the ball. So we pass each other the ball and know what each other's thinking. Um, sports is allows us to do that, which is really awesome. And obviously you guys probably have a different perspective of watching sports than the, you know, quote unquote, typical fan. How do you watch sports and what's your mindset? Obviously, you know, when you're watching lacrosse, it's a completely different mindset than watching, you know, a football game or an NBA game. Just what's your mindset throughout? Yeah, uh, I think as an athlete, definitely viewing sports, you get a little bit of a different perspective because I think that you're a little bit more appreciative of the work that goes into it. I think a lot of your typical fans kind of just see the finished product and what happens on game days. But for us to understand what happens throughout the week, throughout the off season is I think it's kind of huge when it comes to the perspective of watching the game um, because you don't really, you see people going off for, for, you know, 50 points in an NBA game or three touchdowns in a football game or scoring, you know, five, six goals in a lacrosse game and everyone goes crazy. But I think it's really important to talk about the work that goes into it beforehand and to realize that while you're watching it. Yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes to like watching like college across, it's very strategic. You know, a lot of it is scouting because we are on the same playing field, the same level as them. So a lot of it is like appreciating either um, how it's being played or moves to do or how to like learn from what's being watched. Um, and, you know, when it comes to like NFL or NBA, we're always kind of watching our own teams or being the fan, so to speak. Um, but that's why it's cool when we watch lacrosse. It's, you know, we have kind of stake in that. So it's it's definitely very enjoyable. And obviously being, you know, twin brothers, how do you characterize yourselves um, like being different from each other? Um, that's actually, that's a really good question because uh, a lot of the focus has always been how we're similar and how we compete together and and do things together. So I think that we're mostly very similar in that regard. We're always competing. We always want to do the best that we can, but we're also very individual, individualistic. Uh, I feel like when we're in, in the home together, we're kind of on our own a little bit sometimes and very independent. I think that the synergy comes from when we're actually on the field together, but uh, I don't, know that we're uh, as always together and attached to the hip as people might think but we're always rooting for each other always together when we're on campus but it's it's definitely uh 
it's definitely a tale of of two different things. Yeah, totally. I think that what's really awesome about the relationship that we have is that we, given the amount of shared experiences we have, we, you know, on top of just, you know, being twins, but a lot of, um, a lot of that knowledge and that synergy comes from just those shared experiences and understanding what each other's thinking. You know, we don't have to necessarily be with each other all the time to know, you know, I know how Hunter's feeling in certain situations. I know how he feels. And that's why, um, you know, this past season when I tore my ACL, I was able to really um, kind of pick his brain and and be a source of like stability and like him being able to pick my brain about certain things being, um you know, an outside viewer as opposed to his teammate in the moment. Um, but going off of what Hunter said, um, we do virtually everything together, but also there are times where, um, you know, what kind of makes us different is that we are independent. Like, uh, you know, I'll, we're very like, you know, Hunter might just pick up and go for a run right away and just like not say anything or, you know, but that's like expected because we're always just kind of really working hard and doing our own thing and um, where we do come together is when we're talking about certain things and what we want to see. So I think the biggest thing to know is that we are obviously very, very similar. We do essentially the same exact things, but we are independent. Okay. And then kind of moving on in the sense of, you know, kind of after college, because obviously that's, you know, coming to an end at some point in time. How would you see like both of yourselves? Would you want to work for the same company? Do you want to like kind of stay together? Like what's your kind of mindset on that for the, for your future endeavors? Um, yeah, so I would definitely say that um, like we've done in the previous, in, in our past is we want to stick together as much as possible. Um, we were actually fortunate enough, <clears throat> fortunate enough to um, have interned for the same company for the past couple of years in New York City. And so we're hoping to work for them um, full time when we're done at Marist. Uh, so I mean, that's obviously the dream and the goal. Um, but um, just, just like we've been doing our whole lives. So obviously, that would be preferred. Yeah, um, I guess just to answer this in the best way possible, you know, we have that like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. Um, we as Hunter said, we, we, you know, going through the recruiting process in high school, through youth, through college, we feel like we're better together. Um, we even used to have like the same exact schedules and walk class to class together. Um, not necessarily walking together, but we would be in the same classes together. So it would actually be kind of funny and teachers would laugh about it. But, um, you know, it, it makes life a lot more. There's always someone to talk to there's always someone that understands what you're going through um and it's deeper than just doing the same exact thing as someone right like when you're friends with someone and you do the same kind of things there's still that level of like you know uncertainty or or not you know really understanding fully who they are um we've done this our entire lives and we you know from the womb till now uh, and it's kind of funny to think just how tight knit we are. So in that way, um, it makes it really advantageous for us. We believe to as much as possible, be doing things together until that opportunity does not present itself anymore. 
And what would you say one thing that the normal viewer uh, wouldn't know about you? What is that one thing, you know, that you'd like the, you know, viewer to know about you? Hmm. I, I would say that a lot of people know us because uh, we're a member of a Division One sports team and, and they talk a lot about um, success that we may have seen on the field, whether that is in high school or in college or wherever. Um, but one thing I, I guess that a lot of people I don't, I'm not sure know about us is that we take our academics really seriously and that we always have since... Um, since we were in high school. Um, and that's something that <clears throat> has kind of always led us in the right direction is to, is to um, excel in the classroom. And I think that um, being, you know, really good in the classroom kind of leads you to having a good schedule in life <clears throat> and it really helps you on the field as well. So I think that that's definitely something that should be mentioned. Yeah, um, I think on top of what Hunter said, um, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, with being a Division One athlete, right, I, I just never enjoy, I don't like being categorized as like a jock or, or just into sports or, you know, sometimes people can have that perception of, you know, if you're a Division One athlete or a college athlete, like that's kind of what you do and there's just you know so many more levels to us um so I think what I you know kind of like people to know other than that is that we are very like family centric um family is really important to us um we have immense pride in our hometown which is Yorktown which is only like 45 minutes from Marist um, you know, my family has owned a family, sh a flower shop for like 65 years. Um, my mom and dad are divorced. So we've had a lot of challenges throughout our lives, but, um, you know, we're stronger because of it. All right. Now moving on to just talking sports, obviously huge news came out. I want to say about a year ago, maybe a little bit less, uh, ESPN is now having the rights to professional lacrosse, obviously both being in lacrosse. What does that mean to you? Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's really cool. And it, and it goes to show that the sport is moving in the right direction. A few years ago, um, there were, there was only major league lacrosse, which was the MLL. And then um, stories were coming out about how players were, um, you know, about players' wages and their salaries and, um, you know, no health care. It was kind of just like a glorified, you know, pickup league. And the Rabel brothers, who are probably one of the most well-known people in the sport now, definitely um, decided to branch out and make their own league called the PLL. So for a year or two, there were two separate leagues in lacrosse, which was kind of crazy. Um, and then ultimately, uh, the Rabel Brothers League kind of won out and bought out the MLL. So now it's all one league and they're um, players with, you know, much better salaries with healthcare, with equity in the league. Um, and now I think the biggest thing and seeing what they've put out behind the scenes is that getting 
the sport in front of eyeballs is the most important thing. Um, I remember years ago, you wouldn't even be able to have a means of watching a professional lacrosse game unless you went to wherever it is. Now it's a tour based model. So there are, um, you know, I believe eight or nine, eight or nine clubs and they travel every weekend to another venue, whether it be Philly, um, you know, Denver, et cetera. And, um, you know, there, there's just more people seeing the sport. And now with ESPN, you can reach millions of homes and it's already on, you know, TV. It's not, you know, there's ESPN plus, which gives you extra games, but there's also games on ESPN. So it's really awesome to see where lacrosse is heading and that people are becoming more aware of it, which is awesome. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that shortly, I think Jameson kind of hit the nail on the head with just, obviously lacrosse isn't one of those, um, major professional sports right now that gets the most eyeballs. I mean, there's the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, um, you know, soccer has always been globally a renowned sport. So um, just, I think making it easier for people to view the sport and hopefully to attract more people to the sport and to the action of it and how, um, how much of a great game that it is and how fast paced it is. I think that, the deal with ESPN only helps all of that. Um, Jameson kind of gave the whole backstory on the PLL and how great it's been for the sport. Um, when it first came out, I believe the PLL was only viewable on Peacock, right, Jameson? Mm-hmm. And, and like a few games were on NBC. And honestly, not a, few, a lot of people knew what Peacock was at that point. Obviously, the Avid fans um bought it or had it and wanted to watch the games but now that it's on espn which is um just a more known name and a more known uh way of broadcasting sports i think that it's really good for the sport of lacrosse in general yeah and one thing over the kind of the course of lacrosse and hearing more about lacrosse as a sport is it seems like it's dominated more in the Northeast of the country. That could be not necessarily a concern, but a little bit of a concern when you're talking about moving forward, trying to, you know, break into the top five of professional um, sporting leagues. But I think when you're looking at it from a perspective nowadays, I think the establishment of lacrosse, which is helping, I think it's going more and more, you know, better for the, for the number one, for the entire sport, but also just better to have a, different view of just seeing you don't need to watch basketball football baseball all the time you get another extra you know sport in there I think that's good as well but I I want to know your thoughts on where you see lacrosse going from a perspective of right now it, it seems like lacrosse is skyrocketing but it seems like it's skyrocketing in the northeast instead of around the entire country just what are your thoughts on that yeah um I mean we always joked around um as you know, Hunter and I, but even just with members on our team about like how cool it would be if lacrosse, if college lacrosse was as big as college football, you know, where you can have top 25 teams or teams even not even in the top 25 getting tens of thousands of fans watching their games. Um, You know, is it possible? Sure. Is it probable? Not necessarily in the near future. Um, I think that the problem is um, that it is an expensive sport to play. 
um, just in terms of like how, you know, you have to buy equipment as opposed to in soccer, you just need a ball and, and people to play with and goals. Um, same thing with basketball and, and the major sports. Um, you know, we have a house upstate that we go to and we always bring our lacrosse sticks. And a lot of times it's super funny. Like if we have our lacrosse sticks and people are going by, people may not even have seen a lacrosse stick ever or know what it is. And that's, that's in like upstate New York as well. So this is, it's for sure a hotbed, the Northeast. Um, I would love to see the game grow, obviously across the country. I, I, I just think that the biggest thing is, is cost. I think that's what needs to be kind of dialed down for the sport to really grow. Yeah. I mean, that, that college point is really huge. I mean, you see how big college football is where, uh, you know, it not only are the, the top 10 teams, but like there's 50 to 100 teams that are packing stadiums every weekend for college football games. And obviously March Madness is so huge for um, for basketball. I think that it really starts with uh, like we said, the, the growth of a professional league. And I think that that's really huge for children to look up to, to want to be a part of a professional league. Everyone kind of grows up wanting to, the, the funny thing for, for us growing up was that a, a lot of people our age never grew up saying, oh my God, like my dream is to go play in the MLL or play major league lacrosse. Uh, and, and I think that the growth of a professional league like the the PLL now, I think that there are a lot of more lot more kids that are saying they want to be a part of that league from a young age. I mean, a lot of the the goal for lacrosse players was to play at the division one level and that was it. And then uh there was kind of a, a drop off of people who wanted to play D one versus play a professional league. Um so I think that for the growth of lacrosse like we said, the growth of the professional league, but also the use of social media, I think with ESPN or trying to get goals on sports center, just so that people can see, you know, like, Oh, what is this game lacrosse or like, I've heard about it, but it looks, you know, it looks really cool. How do I get out to a game or how do I watch? I think that that's really the start of it. And then I think honestly, just like persistence with, with the game, like Jameson said, I don't think this is something that we'll see, become uh you know a top three professional league within the next five or maybe 10 years but I think if the game persists and people keep watching it this is something that could definitely happen um you know within the next 10 to 20 years yeah and then real quickly um you talk about expenses Jameson is there a way for lacrosse to be quote-unquote less expensive so it's easier for people to you know play the game you look at other leagues like ba uh, base baseball is starting to get more expensive as well um that's why people are not playing baseball as much hockey's always been kind of more of a more of a canada thing is there a way for kind of that to happen less ex to be less expensive because obviously you see more expensive leagues kind of it seems like deteriorating a little bit yeah um i think mainly the pressure is on high schools and high school sports. Um, the trend you're seeing now in lacrosse and it's happened in other sports too, is the emphasis on like playing club in order to get recruited or, you know, people putting an emphasis on playing for their club team as opposed to their high schools. 
Um, and I think that's kind of problematic because then it becomes more of a money maker kind of thing where you need to be paying to be on club teams on top of just paying for equipment and paying to go to tournaments and staying in hotels, et cetera. Um, I think if it was kind of like other sports where, you know, when you play football, a lot of times the equipment supplied by the high school where they have pads for kids, they have helmets for kids. Rarely do you really see a lot of times people buying their own equipment to play those kind of sports. So I think at the youth level, um, it's tough, but sticks and equipment is way less expensive than it is when you're playing at the higher levels. Um, I think it goes down to, you know, grants or, you know, people just making it a way for high schools to be able to have this gear so that the high schools can supply the gear to people who want to play it, want to use it. Um, and then that's where games can be played as opposed to club. Yeah. I think that the, for, for me personally, the first thing that came to my head about just the cost of lacrosse, which it, it is true. It's a very, kind of expensive sport to start out in I think the biggest thing is just getting more people involved to try and give back Um, and obviously that's easier said than done and since the northeast is a really big hotbed there are a lot of people who give back to programs that they've come from within the northeast but then it becomes a question of how do we get that money or how do we provide for kids in across the rest of the country that may have not had programs before. Um, And, you know, I honestly, I don't know if there's a really, you know, concrete answer for that right now, but I think the more money uh, or the more resources that are provided by, you know, professionals or people that have gone through programs before um, to kind of give back to communities, I think that that's one really huge way of, trying to drive the cost down or the initial cost down for people that are just trying to start out. Um, that's really all I have for that. I think J- Jameson too, um, our high school was started, uh, our high school program was started by, what was it, a $5,000 check um, by a guy named Charlie Murphy um, who started our program. And, you know, that's kind of how things start, how programs start. Just mentioned earlier kind of, you know, the money aspect of lacrosse and how to benefit that. But when talking about just sports in general, whether it be basketball, baseball, whatever, travel levels, um, you talk about the competition and it seems like to get higher competition, you basically have have to have the money. Um, do either of you have a solution to that? Is that just kind of the way it is or how do we kind of address this problem? I think that for... For lacrosse players or young players that live in the Northeast, it's not as problematic as those players that do not live in in places where lacrosse is a hotbed because in those places, lacrosse at the high school level still is prominent. You know, you have areas where guys play for their high schools and get recruited and don't even really have to play club. I know Hunter and I, pretty much got recruited exclusively from high school um, because our, you know, our high school has a rich tradition and culture surrounding lacrosse, but, you know, for the average player who, you know, might live an hour away from 
the biggest or their high school doesn't even have lacrosse that's when it starts to become a problem because those people need money you know to to aid in their process or to even find an area to play so um it's definitely a problem i think it's more of a problem than people realize in terms of just growth i think it's existed throughout the time that lacrosse has you know rose to prominence but i think that with the game growing there will be more of an effort to um to reach that i think the goal is i think the biggest thing is growing the game so that more high schools have it more high schools have the equipment for it and then therefore more avenues for those people to play instead of traveling and paying yeah and i think quickly to add to that too is that uh a lot of there are a lot of college players um that come from California like we we have a kid from California on our team we have a few kids from North Carolina we have uh someone from Texas so i think that the more kids that go play at the division 1 level from these areas that aren't considered like traditional hotbeds i think that it's really huge um, because, you know, the more people that go play, um, you know, professional or division one lacrosse from these areas, uh, I think more kids in those areas are going to want to be like them and follow in the same footsteps. So, um, so that's that. And then also too, from a travel perspective, I mean, you guys kind of, you're, you're both right. It's, it's really difficult to fix, especially if you're not in a hotbed where, you know, we were traveling at max, you know, two hours to go play in Long Island or on Long Island, however you say it, um, uh, or, you know, in where the Westchester area or even in Mar- Maryland was kind of like the farthest we'd ever went to play lacrosse. Um, I think that, um, for people that aren't traditionally in, in a hotbed like the Northeast, it's really difficult. So um, I'm not sure of any real solutions, but just to kind of grow the game and then hopefully um, there'll be hotbeds across the country. Mm -hmm. It seems like from both of your guys' perspective on lacrosse, it seems like lacrosse is different than a baseball or a basketball or a football in the sense of travel. Um, you talk about your, you know, high school having a hotbed being kind of that powerhouse high school. It doesn't seem like lacrosse travel wise is as, as important as the other sports, just based on the fact of there's a lack of, you know, lacrosse players in need. Now moving on more to just general sports, you talk about lacrosse, not basically being able to be better in the sense of having public high schools and, you know, being recruited that way, would you say, you know, let's say uh, more high schools, you know, get lacrosse and that starts to evolve. Would you say you see lacrosse going to the mindset of having more travel sports? And it seems like from other sports, just in general, travel is kind of the only way to go from a recruiting standpoint, because you're looking at players and I know guys, um, you know, that played hockey for my, know high school and stuff they had to do travel teams uh same with baseball same with basketball all different things um from my high school pretty much the base of the recruiting was travel instead of being a at a high school is that a problem and how do we kind of try to fix 
the aspect of it seems like money talks. It seems like to get a scholarship, you need to be able to travel and have money just in general. Is that a pro? Obviously, that's a problem, but how do we kind of make sure that it's not all about money? Yeah. Um, I think it's a double edged sword. In reality, money will definitely always talk. Um, you know, the, you know, if you have the money to go to more recruiting events, if you have the more money to join a travel club, you will have more opportunities to be in front of recruiters or coaches, et cetera. But I really do believe that at the basis of everything is, you know, skill and in terms of making it to the next level is you have to be good. Um, and I think that, you know, there are, there have definitely been stories of kids who, you know, never played on club teams, never played on travel teams and kind of just played incredibly well at one event and were able to get recruited and commit to schools. I think it's extremely hard to do, but I'd like to think that that's possible for kids. Um, and then in terms of like, you know, in relation to other sports, I know, as you mentioned with, um, with hockey, it was the same thing in my high school. Uh, my high school hockey team is like combined of four different schools in my area because there's just not many kids who play it. And I imagine that the expenses for that, given the gear, the traveling, they have to take a bus to go to practice every day, um, that that is something that they have to deal with with money. Um you know, for, for us, like we said before, lacrosse, you know, you just stay after school and walk down to the field and play. Um, I think as the game grows more, um, you will probably either see recruiters or coaches having to pay more to travel to a lot of places around the country because there's so many hotbeds, or you will see you know, one designated location for recruiting events to happen and a lot of people having to pay to go there and meet there to, to have, you know, the best of the best. Um, yeah. I think uh, you talked about, I guess, the correlation between high school programs and travel programs. And uh, I'm always a firm believer and I always have been um, that I want to see sports in general, uh, especially lacrosse, I want to see people more proud to represent their high school and their area than they are, you know, paying to go on a club team and play there. Um, and I think that's kind of like the picture perfect world. But unfortunately, when money comes into play and resources and availability for kids, uh, it just becomes not feasible sometimes. So hopefully, you know, we talk about growing the game, hopefully as more high school programs start to get lacrosse and youth programs start to be put in place, there'll be less of a, of an emphasis on club. But unfortunately, in my opinion, I think that club lacrosse is starting to emerge in its importance in the recruiting scene. And I think it's only going to keep growing um, unless there's a drastic change to, uh, to, you know, high school or geographic lacrosse that aren't, in traditional hotbeds.
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, there's a problem, uh, just money aspect wise, just because it seems like you need money and you need a kid who's going to want to play early on. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I'm a kid who never played um, necessarily travel. I kind of just did the town ball and kind of played, you know, middle school ish, I guess, but I didn't really make the team. But I think part of the reason not making the team is not going up against the higher competition that you could have early on and development is key when you're paying for travel versus just playing for a club. Obviously that's a huge issue. Um, I think travel sports, it's tough. It's tough for a kid who doesn't have money or isn't devoted necessarily to the sport where they want to emphasize their parents' money and their kind of the pressure of being in a travel sport. I think that's tough as is going more into money. Uh, we're going to talk NIL. Um, first, what are your just initial thoughts of NIL happening? And then obviously lacrosse is not as prevalent in NIL, but how do you see lacrosse kind of getting gearing towards NIL in the future? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with, uh, you know, it, it comes down to really how many people are watching lacrosse and how many people, how big the sport is, right? When you look at football or you look at even, I think one of the coolest case studies when you talk NIL is the story of like Doug Eddard at St. Peter's, you know, he or they were nowhere to be found on the map in terms of, um, you know, NIL or just in the grand scheme of of the country in terms of college basketball and then March Madness happens which is a beautiful thing that where you have these upsets and hope and faith of younger teams being or I guess underdeveloped teams being or programs being able to take down you know the titans of the sport and within a week or two weeks you know his life changed you know, being able to make merch and becoming like a meme and signing deals with like even like Buffalo Wild Wings um, and his Instagram was popping off too. So I, I think NIL is really, really cool and it offers athletes the opportunities to do that. I think mainly the people that benefit from NIL are the athletes that would have benefited regardless from going to pro after um, college. I I don't know how true that is or not, but I think like, you know, I would have think, you know, like Zion or Johnny Manziel would have made, you know, an incredible amount of money on NIL. I guess I just refuted my own point because Johnny Manziel didn't really um, succeed in the NFL. But um, I, I think that when it comes down to it, lacrosse has to grow in order for NIL opportunities to grow for lacrosse athletes. Yeah. Um, I think, and it's funny too, that we talk about this um, because I'm very involved in something that's called the student athlete advisory committee, um, both at Marist and at, for the Mac as a conference. So NIL has been talked about at the NCAA level in terms of like legislation and governance and stuff like that really often um so it's definitely something that i think is great for college athletics specifically for those bigger schools um and i know a lot of people talk about it with uh football because 
facts of how much money that they've generated for their programs and how much they affect acceptance rates at schools and how a lot of people go to schools like Alabama because of the football community that they have. And, you know, every Saturday, every weekend is surrounds football for those programs. And I think that it's great that those players get to um, make money off of their name, image, and likeness and what, what they bring to the school. Uh, I also do see the downfalls with it because it really is kind of limitless. I, I think I saw a statistic that um, that girl from LSU, Livy Dunn, made, I think, over like $2 million this year <laughs> off of NIL, which is like incredible. I mean, that's that's great for her. Uh, she's become one of the most like popular college athletes probably in the world. Um, but in terms of lacrosse, like my brother said, it's uh, the sport needs to grow and there needs to be more eyeballs on it. Um, I think, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, JMO, but uh, in terms of NIL, two of the biggest figures in college lacrosse right now would be uh, Mitchell Pelkey from Ohio State and uh, and the Drip King from uh, from UMass. I don't know if you've heard of either of them. Um, I mean, I guess go check out their stuff. But uh, all in all, I, I think that the sport needs to grow because the, the more money that the sport generates at the college and professional level, I think the more opportunities there will be for athletes. Yeah, I've heard of the Ohio State guy that you mentioned. Um, obviously, NIL, I think, is a great idea. I think it gets a little bit sketchy. Um, just on some of the guys' points that you guys talked about, to me, it's unbelievable to see a gymnast in Livy Dunn to be making $2 million, knowing that gymnastics just isn't that prevalent in sports and kind of is kind of a, one of those lost sports. You talk about the Olympics, it's there, and people pay attention, but just from a college athletic standpoint, it's kind of not there. Um, when you mentioned Doug Eddard, I always find it funny when that – when that name comes up just based on the fact that, you know, he was at St. Peter's we're at Marist in the Mac. And then he goes to Bryant and I'm from Rhode Island. So he goes to Bryant, which is right. Kind of, you know, not necessarily in the, in my neck of the woods, but in my uh, home state. And it's like, it's almost kind of interesting to see that, Hey, maybe he's trying to follow me a little bit, kind of know my, uh, my paths. And then when you talk about, you know, kind of NIL two names, I want to mention kind of to, trigger your point point Armando Baycott and Drew Timmy those are two athletes at the college level that I think NIL helps them because it takes them out of the NBA it keeps them in school and personally I don't think either of those players is going to turn out to be amazing in professional sports I think they believe belong to be in college and I think that's a great thing however I think NIL is good for those athletes because it keeps certain guys in schools. But when you're talking about the sketchy situations of recruiting, oh, you can come here and you'll have an NIL deal right in front of you. That's stupid. Oh, transferring. Oh, I'm going to talk to you before you even enter the transfer portal to get money. It's too many ske sketchy situations. And I talk on my podcast and I kind of disagreed a little bit. And my, my major concern is it seems like universities are pushing it so hard like yeah some people don't believe that there should be a cap I don't know if there should be a cap but there should be a lot better kind of 
rules, regulation, you know, kind of in place. But my major concern just with NIL is I if they go full professional, you know, uh, Baker, Charlie Baker now running the NCAA over Mike Emmert. Thank God Emmert's out of there. He was personally, I think he was terrible with NIL and the transfer portal. But I look at this and say, I do not want colleges to be paying athletes. Do I want NIL to happen? Yes. Yes, I believe in NIL, and I believe a company should be able to pay an athlete. But when you're talking about schools paying athletes, to me, that's another animal. And I do not want, I don't think anyone wants to deal with it, number one. And number two, it, it to me is just chaos. I don't know what your thoughts are on you know, schools paying athletes. But to me, that just gets so sketchy. It basically triggers the fact of a Marist college would be a stepping stone for athletes, kind of the guy who was under recruited and just is kind of getting going to Marist. And you're going to see people from Marist transfer a lot. And we've seen that throughout kind of Marist college of athletes transferring out of the program to see uh, higher, larger uh, heights. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it, the problem is it is so new and, um, you know, progressive in the sense that I think schools paying, you know, you're, you're pretty much being paid, um, you know, through scholarship, but I, I think the problem is that there's always opportunity, like there's at the biggest schools, there's boosters and there's people with, incredibly high um you know bonds to the school that they will probably find loopholes to pay athletes um you know in those ways i i think that it's really it's going to be really hard to govern because of you know the ability for you know that they kind of just blanket that nil was like okay i i think that um I think that the biggest thing is that they ensure that there's no, like, like you said, it is sketchy how, and, and it allows for the biggest programs or schools with like the most money to be able to pay these athletes. If that is a reality. And I think that's really not good for college sports and competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree with both of you guys. Um, I think that the point, that needs to be said though, is that I think that college athletes, whether or not we like it, have always been compensated in some sort of way. I think especially not, I mean, obviously not when it comes to like college across or anything that we've um, kind of seen it at the mid-major level, but when it comes to those, the big schools, you've always heard of stories of, you know, people getting college athletes getting paid under the table or, or, you know, like off the books kind of deal. And I think that NIL being at least talked about and legal um, in a way makes it more out in the open so that it can be governed, I think. But the problem right now with it is that there's just not enough rules surrounding it. Um, so hopefully as more rules come out and, and as we learn more about NIL, hopefully we'll be able to govern it in a better way. Um, but like you guys said, I mean, the, the problems with it are that when it comes to money, the, the schools and the places that have the most resources are always going to win out. 
And you're going to see a lot more of kids committing to schools strictly based off of name, image, and likeness opportunities. Um, and when you're one of those top recruits, when you can pick, you know, as a football player between Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, you know, all the top schools, when you're when you're picking between those, it really comes down to, you know, obviously a lot about your family and location and all that, but a lot that's going to come into it is money. Uh, and so, uh, honestly, I don't know what is going to happen with that. I don't know what could potentially, you know, fix the problem there with college athletics, but it comes down to, uh, you know, more rules surrounding it. But I, in general, I think it's a good thing for athletes in terms of NIL, but when it comes to colleges paying athletes, I think it's something that's indirectly going to happen. I think that there's, there, there may be, you know, NIL directors at schools that are going to be starting to be hired where kids can just go to the NIL director or administrator and try and get deals. So, yeah, I think the NIL director is actually a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when you're talking about boosters, I believe boosters should be able to pay, um, athletes. However, I think it can't just be a booster like myself. I don't own a company. I don't own anything. And I just have money galore, just giving people away. I think like a, you know, I, I look at this from a standpoint of Steve Cohen. I don't think he should just be paying people, you know, college athletes left and right to go to a school, but in the, in terms of Brady Quinn, where he's at, he was a nerd aim quarterback. He has his kind of own trust fund. I guess you would call it, and he pays athletes, but they help him without his company, whether it be, you know, hey, go on a commercial and do this for us. Like then, okay, I believe, you know, you know, paying him is, you know, foreseeable. Um, when talking, though, I feel like what gets lost in kind of this NIL uh, for me is the academics aspect as a college athlete is getting – you know, some scholarship money to play football so that they can pursue a uh, for their education. I don't know if you guys have watched this, but Last Chance University, the TV show on Netflix, I watched it and I watched uh, two or three parts of it. And one thing I didn't realize is over the course of the time, I and I've started to realize a little bit more, is some of these athletes aren't going to college because they want to go to college. They're going to college to okay, that's the next stepping stone to get to the pros. Now, that's a, that's a problem in itself, but I think maybe the best opportunities for those kind of kids would be to go to prep school and try to, like, if there's another, not necessarily a league, but kind of a stepping stone where you look at the NBA where they drafted guys out of high school. Uh, baseball does the same thing. They draft guys out of high school, and then sometimes with college athletes, they have to stay there for a certain amount of time professional I think you have to go you know football you have to go to the next kind of level I think the XFL could be something where that's the developmental league who knows there but personally when you talk NIL I've always kind of said this once it's come out uh you talk about the director I know Notre Dame I believe has been doing this I don't know about other schools there should be a class for athletes that talk purely nil a class that is focused on nil so that these people know what they're getting into number one number two 
They know what they're doing with this money. If you're talking about like a Bryce Young getting $5 million, yeah, go get a car. No, no, like invest that. You don't know what your career is going to be afterwards. I think that's kind of a major concern, especially with kind of mental health becoming a huge issue for people as we've seen today. I think a class is kind of the best best situation for people. Um, and I think they would actually take that class seriously because it's money involved and you're getting millions of dollars. Don't just throw it to the wolves, kind of like what uh, professional athletes have been doing. Mm-hmm. Get all this money and then just spend it. And then once after their career, they're bankrupt. And now you're seeing you know people going into announcing purely based on the fact of well, I don't have any money left. I spent it all. I think that's I think that's a huge issue. Yeah. Um, I, I think honestly a lot of what you said ties into points that we were talking about before, right? Where you have kids going to schools, not even to go to school. When you think about um a lot of time, a lot of times it's because of like the prominence of those pro leagues, right? People just want to go pro, they want to go pro. Where can I go to help make me go pro? And even when you compare that to lacrosse, right? Like you can't draft a kid to the PLL after one year of college, two years of college, you have to graduate or, you know, there's levels to that. Um, So you see more people going to school for school and then end up not even choosing to go professional because of a job opportunity or this, that, and the other thing. Um, So, I mean, tying it back to NIL, I think, it gives power to athletes or or like the privilege to athletes to be able to obviously make money off of their name, image, and likeness. But I think what you say is necessary. And I think that those classes need to be without the bias of like pushing kids to go a certain way. I think it needs to be like where they can learn and then make the decision for themselves because it is such a difficult thing where, you know, if, if if someone is being offered crazy lump sums of money to go somewhere or do something like who's to tell them they can or can't do that uh, on top of that, right? Like there needs to be education surrounding. I think more education in every single situation in life is a good thing. So especially when there's something new, mm-hmm. there needs to be something done with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all for having a class um, or some sort of seminar that's like mandatory for people to kind of go to before getting into any sort of deal uh, in terms of NIL. Um, but I think that you guys kind of summed it up perfectly with the the dangers of NIL um, and how I, I think people at a very young age, I mean, college freshmen are, you know, anywhere from 17, 18, 19 years of age. Uh, at a very early age, they're being brought into this world of really big money. Um, and I think it's important for athletes to know that once you kind of sign a deal or once your name is put to a certain business or something like that, like you're kind of a representative of that business and message and vice versa. Um, So I think it comes down to, you know, representing uh, a, you know, a business or organization or somebody that 
uh, you know, that you want to represent in terms of your values. And then also uh, businesses picking athletes that they think will represent the values of their business well. Um, and for young kids to be brought into that, it's very difficult. Yeah, I think I completely agree with your last point. And I think the real thing is there's consequences for your actions. No matter what it is, there's consequences. If you go, for instance, you guys both wanted to go to Marist together. There's consequences for that. There's consequences for me going to Marist. Just everything involved, there's so many consequences no matter what you decide, whether it be an NIL deal, going to a school, going to a class, skipping a class, whatever it is. There's so many consequences just for that in general. And I think kind of the you know, college freshman, those 15, 16, 17 year old kid doesn't necessarily know, you know, okay, I'll get the $3 million from this NIL deal. Well, if that doesn't necessarily fit my values or what I want to achieve in my life, you know, why would you do that? When you're looking for jobs after college, you don't want to just go to a job because they're offering you the most money. You want them to align with you. And we talk about that in, in, in specific. And you talk about coaches. You can say all you want about coaches. They go for the money. Um, Personally, one of my favorite head coaches in college football is PJ Fleck. Um, I think his passion is real. I think what he does is real. And what I love about him is, he said, yeah, you can say all, all you want. He went to Minnesota for the money. He didn't go to Minnesota for the money. He went there because it's a better program and he has a better chance to win than Western Michigan. But what I think I believe that he says is, you know, I'm not going to just leave a, leave a school for the money. He says, okay, I want to make sure that my moral values align with theirs and that they know that I'm going to be unapologetically myself. And he tells recruits this, hey, I'm not for everybody. I'm for a select few of people, but I want those select few, few to come to my program and be elite. I think that is just so good from a standpoint of he knows that, hey, he's not for everybody. He knows that not everybody is going to like him. He wants those kids that are going to be affected positively, not just from his beliefs, not just from the football field but that they can all have a brotherhood, a connection for the rest of their lives. And I think that is what the key is just in life in general. And I think that's what really speaks to me from a standpoint of these young athletes in NIL, thinking about a job in the future, just everything going on. I think it it's so overlooked, the aspect of what are your actual values and who do you want to be as a person? Perfectly said. <laughs> Totally agree. So obviously, you know, we talk college football, kind of the big thing went down, you know, right near New Year's. You had two unbelievable games, in my opinion, uh, TCU, Michigan and Georgia, Ohio State. Uh, both were great games. A little surprised Georgia, Ohio State was so close as it was um, TCU, Michigan. I was surprised that it was a little bit lopsided at the end of the score that TCU won, but overall, wouldn't say I was surprised, just kind of, it was a good matchup. But TCU-Georgia, it comes on January 9th at 7.30 or 8 o'clock on ESPN, ABC. There's probably about 15 different broadcasts that you can watch this game on. I'll probably put on like six or seven screens to see all the different camera angles and see what's going on there. Um, TCU-Georgia. Here's what I'll say. Stetson Bennett, you talk about him, and I think people compare him to Tom Brady in the sense of he wins. I think 
this is this might sound outlandish to you guys. I think that is a perfect comparison because all he does is win and he doesn't have this raw talent mojo. Um, that's what I'll say on Georgia. Um, Xavier Truss, left guard from Bishop Hendrick in Rhode Island. I love that guy. I think he was a four or five star out of Rhode Island. It's great to see what he's doing, finally having a chance to play um, this year. Uh, TCU, Georgia. I think Georgia is going to win this game, and I think it's going to be a seven-point game. I'll say, I'll say twenty-seven. You know, I'll I'll just come up with a hypothetical. I'm going to say thirty-one twenty-four. Thirty-one twenty-four. Georgia wins this football game. However, I want TCU to win. I I believe in Max Duggan. I think he is a good quarterback in college. I don't think he'll do anything in the pros. I just love the transition that TCU has done this year. You're talking about getting a new coach in Sonny Dykes, his first season as the head coach of TCU. I get it. You talk about, okay, they've not really beaten anybody. Well, they've beaten people, but they've just kind of won barely in a lot of close games. Um, I like TCU. Um, I like TCU to win. Personally, I want them to win. I don't think they will. So if you're saying who would I pick, I'll say Georgia 31-24, but I think if TCU wins, it's going to be a higher-scoring game. I don't know. It's tough to pick for me because I want TCU, but I know what Georgia brings to the table, and that's kind of what I think of this college football you know, matchup here. Yeah. Um, I'm in kind of the same boat with you. I did see that comparison between Stetson Bennett and Tom Brady. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, I – I agree with your points that Stetson's done a great job of winning games. And we saw his um, performance at the end of last game, uh, scoring a touchdown to win on the, on the final drive, basically, which is something that Tom Brady does uh, weekly. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the comparison. I just, I think that, you know, Tom Brady being like the goat of football, I think it's yeah. maybe quick to, but I see the the similarities there. Um, also, uh, I will be rooting for TCU come January 9th. I think that anyone, you know, if, if you had to bet your life on a team, you'd bet on Georgia. But I think that the pressure is on Georgia in this game. Um, being the being the favorite and being the returning national champion to defend their title, but I think America's team is TCU right now. Like, if you're not from Georgia or from the area or an avid fan, I think that everyone kind of wants to see an upset. Uh, and I'm in that boat, so I'll be rooting for TCU. I think, like you said, with college football, it's always going to be high scoring, especially if an underdog's going to win. So I'm going to say, uh. 3835 TCU. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think you guys I think Georgia is the safe play. Yeah. Um, but I also I do want TCU. I've actually kind of sneakily been a fan of TCU since like Trayvon Boykin was he the quarterback way back in the day? Yeah, he was. Number two. A yeah. while ago. So like yeah, and I always actually like since he was playing. And I've had have always been cool. I've had the TCU uh football notifications on my phone like since he was playing. And never really I mean, I'm not a true 
I'm definitely not like a an avid TCU football fan. I won't say that. Um, but it is kind of cool to see the journey that they've taken. Um, I really love um Quentin Johnson. Oh yeah. I think he like big boy. I mean, that play that he made in I mean, plays, but you know, when he took it all the way down, I think he's just really fun to watch. I think TCU is fun to watch. I think I mean both teams are. Um, I'll definitely be rooting for TCU. I think that also Georgia does have, you know, the pressure on them. I think they're definitely a favorite, but I think that's like the beauty of college sports is that. Um, yeah, exactly. You like the game has to be played. Um, and I think it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. I know that the college football playoff, I think the way that college football has developed over the past 10 years is really, really awesome. I think that, um, you know, first off moving from like, what was it like the BCS national championship now yep. to um, the college football playoff is like really awesome and great for everyone involved. Um, I was honestly kind of just happy Alabama wasn't in it this year uh, just because there always seemed to be obviously there. So I'll be rooting for TCU. I, and, and I really, really like Quentin Johnson on, on TCU. Yeah, two points I want to mention. Uh, the Stenson Bennett and Tom Brady comparison. Uh, another thing is the underdog mentality. Um, kind of being doubted, I guess, is another comparison. Now, is Stenson Bennett, Tom Brady, that's just out- absurd, outrageous, and that's just not even something you can say. But I like the comparison in the sense they both win. They're both underdogs. Come from a not similar backstory, but similar backstory in the sense of, oh, you're not good enough that kind of um, thing. Uh, Quentin Johnson, you talk about him. I think he has the potential body type wise and skill. I'm not saying he's going to be this guy, but I think he can be this guy. Julio Jones is a name that comes to mind um, for him. And I just love the underdog storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about being a TCU fan. Personally, it seems like every year, um, personally, I love college football. Um, my dad went to Notre Dame, so obviously I root for Notre Dame. Personally, I'm a Boise, Boise State guy. Love Boise State, but that every single turf. year, <laughs> yeah, you gotta love the blue turf. Every single year, there's always a team in the mix that I like. Um, I like Minnesota because of PJ Fleck. Uh, Northwestern, I like them because they're academics and the focus of that instead of trying to get the best athlete and actually developing your players. Um. Syracuse is a school, obviously, New York area. You know, I like New York sports teams. That's kind of the, you know, that mojo. But it seems like this year I'm kind of riding with TCU based on the fact of the underdog mentality, new coach. I don't love Sonny Dykes, to be honest with you. Um, I just like TCU. But, you know, moving on, new format, not coming next year, but the year after this. You got, I want to say, 12 teams, four teams have a bye. Um, all of them have to be the highest-seeded uh, team uh, from their conference. They all have to win oh, – excuse me. They have to win their title game, and they have to be the highest. And then the first – and then out of, you know, all these conferences, there's – how many conferences are there? There's probably like 20 conferences. Out of all those title winners – 
the top four of those best ranked teams get the bye, and then you fill out the rest of this bracket. Uh, personally, I agree. BCS going to college football playoff. That's good. Go to four. I like four. Going to 12, I don't like it at all. Uh, the only thing I like about 12 is that you get a team like a Boise State, a Tulane, one of those teams in there. However, 12 is too much. I think eight is the right option. I think eight is the right stay. I think it's kind of like a NFL-esque where you have eight teams. 12 is too many. I think 12, what you do is you're basically eliminating bowl games. And personally, I don't like this. I think bowl games are important. Um, from a player standpoint, I think players should be playing in a specific bowl game if you want to help your team. However, if you're a Michael Mayer, if you're a if you're a Michael Mayer in particular, there's no point in necessarily playing this bowl game based on the fact of Notre Dame is trying to look at the future of Notre Dame and not focus on the now based on what they had this season. However, if you're Alabama, Bryce Young, Will Anderson set a precedence for college football playing that bowl game. I love that. I know you might think I'm crazy saying one guy not to play and other guys to play. I think it's case-by-case basis, but I'll tell you what my thoughts are on 12. Personally, don't like it. I think it should be eight. Personally, I do like the fact that there is a Boise State Tulane, as I mentioned earlier. I just want to know your thoughts. If in this 12-team you know, team format, does a team like Tulane, does a team like a TCU, does a team like one of those teams, a underdog story, have a chance – based on the fact of you look at these Georgias, you look at the Alabamas, the LSUs, their depth is pretty absurd compared to these teams. And when you're having to play not just one game, two games, not just one or two games, possibly up to three games, are these college athletes able to handle that? See, I think I think the answer the, – the answer kind of is – I think it's problematic because um, historically speaking, I think teams one through four, one through five, one through six are so much better than teams 10 through 15 towards the end. Um, I don't know. I I just think that um, like where you start to see the problem is like, are you taking games away to now have like the three week playoff are you adding games on is the game going to be going now into like are the games going to be going into like mid-january I, I i'm honestly not as well educated if they've even said anything in terms of like they, when the they game... haven't they haven't yeah. i think i think what the expectation is at least from my standpoint is you know how they have that three week three or four weeks before playing in the college football playoff I mm-hmm. think they eliminate that a little bit. So maybe they have a week off and then play this college football format and play every week. However, with that format, that kind of eliminates um, fans um, of just college football in general, watching that particular game who would have been watching a bowl game instead. That's the, that's a major concern um, yeah. from a money standpoint. Yeah. Um, I definitely see that. And also, I think um, – oh, damn, what was I going to say? Um, I just think that, like, 
to go from four straight to 12 is kind of, I think that's kind of absurd. I think going to eight and seeing how that would pan out is much, much better than going to 12. I love the idea of being able to have those Cinderella or underdog schools represented. I'm certainly all for that. I just think that the progression needs to be made instead of like a huge jump. And I think that, um, I, I just think that there needs to be thought around like the athletes and bodies, like how, like how, like, like regular seasons, you know, you're, you get a certain number of games to be played anyways. Right. So now if you're going to be taken away from those or, or whatever, um, I think it makes it very difficult. Yeah. Before you go Hunter, there's 12, there's 12, you know, games, 11 or 12 games in the regular season, um, which is who knows what's going to happen there. Um, yeah. Your thoughts, though, you say eight as a stepping, not a stepping stone, but kind of as that stepping stone to 12. So are you saying that in the future you'd be okay with 12? Or is it I like eight? Because there's a difference between liking eight now and liking eight for the future. Personally, I like eight for the future. Yeah, um, I I think I like eight for the future. Um, okay. Just Yeah, just because I think it just, makes it I think there needs to be a level of just like concreteness I think what they think about a lot of times like oh yeah this would be so cool or so cool I I want there to be like a case that's best for everyone when you talk about like you know because they, they might look at the business side of things and they might amplify it and make it a huge big thing oh this could be a huge money maker and this and that and the other thing um I think eight for a lot of the reasons I've been mentioning and you've been mentioning too, is, is a good basis in being concrete for college football playoff for now and into the future. Yeah. Um, I would say that, see, as a viewer and a spectator and a fan of college football, you love to see them expand the college football playoff. Um, just because, you know, when it was first two for a national championship game, it was like, a lot of times teams with, you know, one loss were right outside of the top two can be, you know, just as good as those top two teams. And now you're seeing four, which I think has been a good, um, good development. And now to jump to 12, see, as a fan of college football and somebody who loves to see, to just watch the sport, um, I think it's great. But as an athlete, I just don't know, I'm just thinking about in terms of like risk for injury and stuff like that. You know, you've already seen a lot of people who are, I guess, like sitting out of bowl games because they're worried about how it could affect their NFL draft stock. And now with 12 teams, obviously, if you're competing for a national championship, you're not going to sit out of a game. Right. So now, although that'd be great because, you know, now you have all your players competing for something and all athletes want to compete for a national championship. I mean, that's just can't be overstated, but at the same time, um, I'm just thinking about it from like a, a body perspective. These kids are going into, you know, spring training and summer training before the season even begins. And then they're going practicing and traveling all over the country from 
the second season starts all the way up until now January 9th. So to see a potential to adding another week or adding in another couple of games for schools is I think very problematic, but, you know, as a fan and a viewer of the sport, I mean, we love March Madness. The fact that there are, you know, 60 plus teams that can all compete for a national championship. And uh, I, I just don't know. I think with football being as violent and as dangerous as, as it is, I, I don't know if 12 is good. Um, I like four right now. I think eight could be really good. Like you guys said, maybe even expanding it to six, I think could be a good number. Um, but I don't know about 12. I think that 12 is a little too much. Okay. So you mentioned six. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind six. My only question is the six, how is that going to work out work from a playoff perspective? You're having buys what you would assume that three would three and six play four and five play and then one plays the worst seed or plays the three six or two plays the four five or yeah is that is that your situation at hand in how like personally i i like i like the six number but i don't like the standpoint of buys if that makes sense yeah i i think that it does stink because with six you're gonna have to have two of them have a buy mm-hmm. and have the four play um but I think already, though, when you think about it, with that three-week break that we just saw, I think that a lot of teams have already saw, like, it's it's kind of like they're already on buys with, you know, all these four teams not having played for the last three weeks to now be jumping into a huge playoff game, you know, a semifinal game to determine if they get into the championship. So I don't think that'll be new to someone if maybe you know you started a week earlier and just the two teams on by had the three weeks and the other teams had two weeks but um I don't know I like like I said I'm in agreement with you guys I think 12 is too much I think that eight would be a good number I think six would be a good number I also think four has has worked out pretty well it just it sinks it stinks to see those teams fall to five and six but with any number, there's always going to be a team that thinks they got snubbed or a, a team on the outside that you think could compete. It just just comes down to, you know, winning games during the season and putting yourself in the best position to be selected. See, my only question with six is you talk one team needs a bye, so two weeks and three weeks. That's a huge disadvantage for a team. I don't like that in college football, huge disadvantages. Um I disagree, though, on your point about opt-outs. I think there's going to be more opt-outs because I think some of these – you're talking about seeds from 13 to the rest of the country who get a bowl game. I wouldn't be surprised if every single team would opt out because it would basically be a bowl game, but it wouldn't be a bowl game that anybody would care or even watch based right. on 12. Um, I think what I loved about the BCS – and you might think – some people will think I'm crazy, and I think it's – good and bad i think the importance of bowl games was great uh i like four and the transfer portal and nil are kind of screwing um the bowl games because of opt-outs and whatnot 12 is just going to basically make bowl games not existent just based on the fact there's who is going to watch a game like we see uh minnesota and syracuse played in the pinstripe bowl 
Now, not a lot of people watch that game, if you, but if you actually see that game and see the attendance of that game, that's pretty good for a game that's right near New Year's. Now, if you're talking about having college football playoffs pretty much throughout, that game is probably going to be switched to a different date and then all this other stuff. To me, no one's going to want to go to that game. No one's going to want to watch that game. No one will care. Some of the best players will opt out. That is my biggest concern when you're talking about this college football playoff. However, with all that said, I think Charlie Baker at the helm is going to make a difference in not just college football, but college athletics from NIL standpoint, the transfer portal, because what he's going to do is he's going to make Congress involved. That can be a bad thing in the sense that college sports are going pro, in my opinion, or it can be a good thing of, okay, these college athletes are getting education. This is a good thing. We need to make this, okay, you can earn money. Not everybody's going to earn money, but you're not making millions, 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 millions of dollars, and colleges aren't just paying you left and right. That's my thoughts. Um, huge college football fan. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in G- TCU and Georgia. And I think whatever happens, I always say this on my podcast, whatever happens in the future, I'm going to be okay with it. It's just the now in the immediate future. I'm not sure how okay I'll be with it if they go professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. All right, and we're just going to wrap up uh, episode 26 of Derek's Discussions. Do you guys have any last words for our listeners out there? No, just uh, just thank you to you, Derek. Uh, I think this was really cool um, to just talk about stuff other than, um, you know, what we're typically used to talking about with lacrosse and, and Marist in our time, um, even, you know, growing up around the game. I think it was cool to talk about different things like, NIL and uh, professional sports and and college football and I think this all kind of ties in I think we're all as athletes and and sports fans we're all you know we all have the same interests and I think that it's cool to talk about a wide 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 uh, range of things so thank you yeah uh, thank you so much I really appreciate you having us on Um, and it's honestly getting me super excited just to be back and to play, um, and to compete again. Um, I think what you're doing is really awesome. And I, uh, and I can't wait to, uh, to hear and listen to it myself. So thank you so much.